This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Alex Bezushka and Eric Lathrop. And this episode is Weekend Warriors Game Development. Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Eric. And I'm Ed Charbonneau. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, Weekend Warriors game development. And uh, what a Weekend Warrior is, uh, is somebody that's got a hobby that they are very passionate about. So they spend their entire weekends doing uh, whatever that hobby is as much as possible. And uh, these two guys here do uh, a lot of game development. Um, They run... Uh, a company called Two Scoop Games here in Louisville, Kentucky, and we are at the Ludum Dare 32. Yeah. And uh, we're at the event recording this podcast. Uh, what are you guys doing at the Ludum Dare today? Well, we're building a game in 48 hours. It's a international competition. There's usually about 2,000 game developers around the world making a game um, from scratch on over the weekend. And we have a physical um, version of that here. Like most people do it online, um, but we have, um, as part of Game GameDevLu, our local game development community here in Louisville, um, about 12 game developers here making five games from scratch this weekend. Um, so with the Ludum Dare, is there like a challenge involved? Do you get a special like set of requirements given to you or do you just come up with your own idea? So there's two parts to it. There's the compo, which is a single person doing a jam game in 48 hours. And there's the jam, which is a team doing the game in 72 hours. And you're given a theme at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the game jam on Friday. And by 9 p.m. on Sunday, you have to create a game. What's, what's the theme for this, uh, this dare? Uh, an unconventional weapon. Unconventional weapon. And you guys came up with... <laughs> our, our game is about a carrot. Yeah, you play as a carrot, and you are your you are the weapon. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what what I like about the the challenge is that you know it gets you thinking outside the box, and you end up making something that you probably wouldn't have thought of making on your own. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. We tend to do these game jams every couple of months. We do about four a year, and. Each one, we kind of like focus on a little area of game development that we don't know well, and we try and build up our skill in that one little area. So, like over time, we get better and better. So, what got y'all into this? I know when I was like a kid, I was like totally into video games, and then I always wanted to learn how they were made. And I spent a lot of time uh, when I was a teenager making levels for like Doom and Counter Strike and Half Life. And uh, it almost took a career in game development. So did you guys go down that kind of path? Did you, you know, were you gamers as kids and that got you into software? I definitely was. Like I started programming when I was maybe 10 years old or something. I had a head-me-down computer from my uncle and it had a, a slot machine program in the instructions in BASIC. And I typed it in and made it work, and then I wanted to cheat the game, so I edited the code to make it cheat. And then from there on, just like always, like like I grew up with computers and video games at the same time, and I want always made video games like throughout my whole career. 
And I started off with uh, Super Nintendo, and from the moment that I played Super Mario World and Mario Kart, I knew that somebody had to be making this stuff. You know, I was like eight years old or something, and, and I thought, like, somebody is, is drawing this stuff and creating it, and I want to be a part of that. And ever since then, I've wanted to, I wanted to make games. And I started uh, from a different path. I did uh, drawing and art and graphic design, and eventually... Um, got kind of discouraged I couldn't do it um, because all the big companies uh, you have you working on big teams of a thousand people and I would get stuck making a tree or something and I wouldn't have any say in the game yeah and so I kind of gave up on my dream and I was doing web design which is something I really am passionate about also um, and then I just recently in the last couple of years thought that I could start making games again now with uh, being able to um, to sell your stuff or put it online yourself easily and you can have small teams making projects and that real people will actually get to play. Is that when you two started to scoop games? Yeah. So we've been, we've been working together for just over a year now and we met at a JavaScript meetup and Eric was working on a little rooftop runner kind of game, you know, like a cannibal or something. And, uh, he was making it with JavaScript canvas, uh, HTML five stuff. Actually, I was it was Thanksgiving, and I was home um, for the holiday visiting my younger brother, who was going to college for computer science. And he was complaining that he was bored with the stuff he was being he was learning in college. And I wanted to show him games because we're both gamers. And he, I sat down with him and said, "Like we're going to make the simplest game I can think of, which is an endless runner style game. And I'm going to just teach you how to make a game." And we we stayed up till like four in the morning making this little game. And that just sort of reawoke the whole like game thing in me. You know, I had kind of like buried it down for a while and not thought about games. And then I started doing it. And then I was doing it at um, this JavaScript hack night. Um, and Alex saw me and he was into games and he said maybe he could draw some art for it. Yeah, I was already working on a couple of my own games at the time, but I hadn't really gotten anywhere because I'm not as good of a programmer. And so um, I have five or six like barely started projects and I saw that his game was already pretty much working it just needed some art yeah I kind of teeter on the fence myself I have some artistic skill not super strong and then you know the the programming side as well and you know I can get so far on my own but when you have you know somebody you can team up with that specializes in one or the other you can really make some cool stuff happen um, when I was starting out I, I did a lot of level design because I could do the 3D art, and there was some scripting involved to make the levels do what you wanted them to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So that kind of fit my skills pretty good. Um, I spent so many weekends working on you know maps for Counter-Strike. Uh, that, that took up a lot of my time, but I learned a lot for you know the job that I have now, and it applies to you know development in so many ways. I think you know gaming's an awesome gateway into software development. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's great to have a teammate because, like, I had, like, when we started, or when I, I always made games, but they were, like, little things and I was always by myself and I would always, like, I would do something until I got to a hard part or until I got bored or whatever and I would kind of wander off and, you know, forget about the project or whatever. But with um, having Alex as a teammate, whenever I get bored or I start to struggle with something, like, and I'm having a down moment, he'll be excited about something and his excitement will get me excited and it'll reinvigorate me to go and 
pick up again and then if he when he's feeling down i'll make some new feature in the game and then that'll get him excited to draw more art so it's a, it's like a great seesaw effect you know when you're by yourself you're just kind of lonely and <laughs> there's no one to pick you up when you get down I think that's a good way to talk about the community here in Louisville. We have, like, literally a meetup group almost every single night of the week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you guys can elaborate more on, you know, what what is the community like here? Why is it important? Obviously, like you just said, you know, meeting people that have uh, skills that fill in the gap where you don't have skills is, is one reason. Um what are some of the groups you guys go to and what are some of the things that you see here in town? So I was originally looking for um, some kind of front end meetup, um, like a JavaScript meetup or something, and I couldn't find one. So I looked on meetup.com and I thought maybe I should just start one. And so I started JSLU about a year and a half ago and um, I just started going and having meetings and people showed up and we have about 10 people uh, show up at every meeting. We have two per month. One is a hack night and one is a learn night. And that's how I met Eric and met a bunch of other people. And from there, uh, once we found out that we wanted to do games, we started looking to see if there were any other people doing games or game meetups. And there was a level one game dev group. And we talked to them about doing uh, Global Game Jam and back in January 2014 and coordinated with Mike uh, who runs the who ran the level one game dev group and we ended up coming and hanging out with other game developers every two weeks and it's been going on ever since then and you guys run the J the JS Lou meetup and I know I've seen you guys at the C sharp or not C sharp but .NET developer meetup too mm -hmm. um, yeah we have so many meetups in Louisville going on like every day of the week almost and i know they're all across the country so you know you can go to those places and you can find people that have you know superior skill sets where you don't and you can learn a lot from the community that's around you it's it's really good that we have that here mm -hmm. yeah there's a, if you're looking for meetups like meetup.com is you know, the first place you should look because there's a lot of things you know that's where the majority of them are but there's a surprising number of meetups that aren't on meetup.com because it costs money and some people don't want to pay the money for it. Um, and so here in Louisville, like I've kind of like wanted to go to a lot of meetups and I've started like tracking them all down and making a, just a giant list of them. So it's not, it's just on uh, gist.github.com, my list of Louisville meetups. Um, but there's not like, there needs to be like just a, like a wiki or something somewhere <laughs> for like all of the meetups. So like and for other cities too, you know? Yeah, because like, I moved here and I didn't know anyone, and like, you know, getting involved in the tech scene was hard. And I wish I had the list when I started. <laughs> I'd really recommend getting involved with local meetup groups if you're a developer. Um, it's a, it's the best way to learn. I think yeah. um, there's a lot of motivation to keep your skills up when you see how many talented people there are in your own city. Yeah, if you're looking to get ahead at work, I mean, if you want to get raises and you know move up in your position that's like one of the best ways to get uh, ahead in in the game is to go to meetups because you meet people that have skills that are you know sometimes better than yours and and that's how you get brought up you know learn more is from people that have more experience and things like that um 
and in addition to uh, meetups, we, we have a lot of uh, cool like co-working spaces here in Louisville. Um, in Indiana as well, right across the river, uh, we have something called Velocity. That's uh, a like a co-working space. Um, but you guys were actually talking about doing some kind of a game co-working space. Yeah, um, we're looking to have a, like a home for our game dev group um, where we can hang out and work on our games like in a sort of office space where it's we're not being interrupted by loud noises or whatever and where we can host our game jams and do exhibitions of our games that we create and we're in the early planning stages of that and getting the community involved and trying to figure out what kind of legal entity we need and we're going to form this thing and rent a space and Alex knows a lot more about it <laughs> yeah, right now we're we're calling it Warp Zone, and I mean, just like you said, we want to have co-working, um, maybe some small offices or some like open working areas that people can rent, um, or not not rent, but um, they could pay a membership uh, every month and use that. But it would also be something we want to be open to the public for events or for um, people who are interested in game development. Basically, the point of it is to make game development seem like a viable career in our city because I feel like it is and I know that there are several developers who are making a living off of their games and it's uh, it's something that a lot of people are interested in but they just uh, do it as a hobby and that's basically what we want to try to promote. And these hobbies that, that we have in uh, our network here um, if people wanted to get involved with them and, you know, and you guys, how, how do people find, uh, you know, get into game development on the weekend or, or after work or however they want to get started in it? How do they go about that? What's I, the best way? I always suggest to people, even though it sounds kind of scary, that game jams are a great way to bust in because if you pair up with a, with another person or if you're on a team of people who have already done a couple of games or... Um, or if like you can that. find an in-person one, yeah, a lot of them you, are online. Yeah, only. if you can find a, if you can find an in-person game jam. Yeah, if you can find one where there's a group of people like physically meeting in real life, um, you can find a team and glom onto that team and join and just take their knowledge all weekend long. Yeah. So what so, what kind of skill set should I have if I'm going to go in? Should I go like if if I'm not you know code heavy, maybe go Code Academy or uh, treehouse or you know plural site one of those type of things and learn some development skills or uh, maybe if I'm a little on the artistic side um, you know come in and show some of my artwork off and maybe team up with somebody to do some you know graphics or yeah. how, how could I you know how would I do that there's uh there are several major um, like categories of skills that you could do I mean if you're if you're more interested in art then you could then you could um, find somebody who's more interested in doing code, find find some people that do music, and, and kind of make a team out of it, uh, which is a really good way to, to get something done that looks nice. And actually... They, it sounds nice. I always forget yeah. about the audio part. You know, sound effects, music, all that stuff mm -hmm. plays a part. Uh, normal software development, that might not be something you're thinking about. So, yeah. you know, you're building that that application, that line of business application, you might not be thinking about, you know, music and sound effects. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, you go into a game jam, you, you kind of need really? sound effects, graphics, programming skills, 
Any is there other anything else? Um, incorporates everything. I mean, story, sound, art. Yeah, um, good good writing. Yeah, um, the game know. is a hundred percent UX. It's all about UX. Like, yeah, true, UX yeah. people. It's so all about design and the experience of the player and how they interpret what you're putting on the screen and putting out of the mic or out of the speakers. Yeah, so there's a lot of avenues for people that are interested in games, even if even if you're not a developer, mm-hmm. to get into game programming or game development. And a lot of people don't get started because they don't have someone to help them do the other part that they're not good at. And so that's one of the major things that we try to do in our in our community, Game Dev Lou, is to connect people with other with other people that have the opposite or skills opposite skills or skills that fit together and get that going. But if you're solo and you're on your own and you, there's nothing in your city, there are lots of online resources. Like if you're going to get started, if you pick an engine or something like Unity or or Splat, which is the one that we that we've been working on. Um, there are tutorials out there that that you could find that will that will show you sample games or show you step by step how to make certain different types of games. There are great podcasts and video podcasts like video tutorials on YouTube and stuff that I've looked at. Um, that's the stuff that I more gravitate towards because I'm more of a visual person. And um, if you're somebody who can who can read a book and take a lot from that, there's lots of great game design books. But um, I would say start, if you're interested in game design stuff, um, start with something that's game-related, because it might hold your attention more than straight-up programming. Um, and if you're uh, if you're already a programmer, a lot of the stuff that you already know is going to be really helpful. Yeah, and I've noticed, you know, almost every language that you could possibly write as a, you know, professional developer in the business sense um, you know, C sharp, uh, JavaScript, you name it. There, there's probably a game engine or game component that runs that type of language, whether it's scripting or actually coding. Yeah. So, I mean, that you just have to find the right engine that meshes up with your skill set. And then, you know, once you learn a couple different programming languages too, you know, they kind of they all start to look very similar. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Eric, you wrote. Um, uh, splat the splat game engine that's javascript right yeah um we've made six or seven or eight games in the last year and a half or whatever we've been working on games and as we've built games we've kind of extracted and refactored out that technology into a game engine and it just it sort of like smooths over a lot of differences between browsers and patches up um, a bunch of like inconsistent things like in browser support and uh HTML5 or whatever, so you can just use a feature and like draw a picture or play a sound. And if you don't, if you have Web Audio API, it'll play it through Web Audio API. And if you don't, it'll play it through the HTML5 audio tag. And if otherwise, it'll just be a no op. You know that kind of stuff. It smooths it all over, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty basic engine, but it, you know, it does some of the jQuery stuff like where it just smooths over the differences for you. Yeah, and it's it's all open source, right? You put it yeah, open it's source. on GitHub. It's MIT licensed. You can do what, basically whatever you want with it. Yeah, and I'll I'll get with you and put show notes up uh, to go with the podcast here and uh, let people find that on GitHub. All of our games are are on GitHub also, and so if you if you want to look at any of the uh, source code for any of the games that we've created, it's a really great way to see how we did it. And um, some of those are jam games, so the code might be a little messy. Just get to get it done in a weekend, but um, we've got several several of our games up there where you can check them out and pull them apart. 
Yeah, they're not technically open source games, but the source is there and you can read it. Like you probably shouldn't like fork it and go and put it on a store or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can read you can read it and look at all the resources and everything. It's there for you to learn from. Yeah, and I've played some of the games. They're they're great. Like uh, one of them is Cyrush, um, and then there's is it Charlie Squeaks? Stanley Squeaks. Stanley Squeaks. Yeah. Um, and I literally just like left my my little ones in the other room playing these games. And they were having a blast. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, those two games and some of the other ones that you guys created with Two Scoops. Sure. Or Two oh. Scoop games, sorry. <laughs> we're really excited about Sea Rush. That was our first, like, major kind of a release game. It's a waffle simulator. It's a game, if, you've, if you're um, obsessive-compulsive and you like all of your waffles to be perfect and you want to put the right amount of butter in every hole, that's, this is the game for you. It's a big waffle scrolling by, and you have to fill it with all the butter, so every hole is filled, and then it goes back, and you put syrup on everything, and you just they get the waffles get bigger, the toppings get crazier, and you do you know blueberries and whipped cream, and um, it's the first game we've asked for money for, so it was a big step in our evolution as a company. You know, like we were making all these little jam games, and now we're making a full game, and we're asking for money, and we're trying to like be sustainable as a company. It's, it. it's a great looking game too. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and you you worked on that um, in like Photoshop or yeah, with, some with, other tools. With Surash, I did it all with uh, Illustrator. So it's all vector, and then of course when it goes into the game, I export it as as uh, bitmap. But I started off in Illustrator. Yeah, it's a nice looking game. And then there's uh, Stanley Squeaks. Yeah, Stanley Squeaks and the Emerald Burrito. So that started off as a game jam game uh, last year, and um, the theme was connected worlds, and we were thinking about like uh, past and present, like you're going and exploring this temple, but we um, we made it like an Indiana Jones hamster, and that's one of our that's going to be our first larger game that we're going to release on Windows, Mac, and Linux, and we're working on that right now along with some other projects that we're doing, and. Um, it's it's really fun to work on a platformer because those were the first type of games that I played. So this is a puzzle platformer, and um, you're the you're a hamster and you're exploring this temple and trying to find the the elusive emerald burrito. And uh, there's lots of traps and different things that will get in your way. And um, it's we've got some interesting puzzle mechanics that that um, a lot of people have have said are unique and fun. So I'm excited about continuing to work on that. I appreciate you guys doing this with me today. Um, I've got Alex and Eric here from Two Scoop Games, and we'll link to Two Scoop and Two Scoop Games and uh, some of your games in the show notes for people to find. Um, I appreciate you guys doing this. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back with Jen Luper to talk about the Internet of Things. Welcome back. I'm joined by Jen Luper from Telerik. Hi, everybody. How are you? Now, Jen, I just got done talking to Eric and Alex from Two Scoop Games. We were talking about game development. I wanted to get your point of view on the show because you have a really cool app that brings gaming into the real world with the Internet of Things with IoT beacons. So can you share with us what you've created? Before I started at Telerik, my boss, Burke Holland, uh, contacted me and said, look, I have these Estimote beacons sitting around in the Palo Alto office. Do you want them? And uh, he and I both knew that, you know, I was starting to get really interested in the Internet of Things. And um, 
I just got really excited after I saw what these things were. And I, you know, kind of jumped up and down and said, absolutely, send them along. So he sent them in the mail. Um, and then I just started tinkering around with them and discovered that on the Telerik plugins repository, plugins.telerik.com, we have a Cordova plugin for Estimote Beacons. So what they do is that um, you use the plugin in a mobile app and it will uh, allow your app to pick up a Bluetooth signal that is um, transmitted by the by the beacon, and you can do anything with it. You know, you can grab the color of the beacon, you can tell the proximity of your app to the beacon of your of your phone to the beacon, and um, you can create content based on where you are and how close you are to a certain beacon that's transmitting the signal. So for me. Well, this is just the way my brain works. I immediately thought, oh, that's a scavenger hunt. <laughs> so, and I'm not the only one who's thought this. If you go on the um, iOS store, the app store, you'll find plenty of uh, beacon type scavenger hunt uh, apps out there. But I just decided, let's just try and see if we can, if we can create this. So I went to um, the Telerik platform, platform.telerik.com, and I just created a hybrid mobile app. And uh, I imported the Estimote plugin. And uh, just started, you know, building uh, what, what turned into a scavenger hunt type of app. So what happens with this app is that you need to create a hunt ID or a pin, six digits. I just decided arbitrarily, let's just create a six digit pin. And that allows me to sort of geofence the users. So if you, uh, for example, put in um, H-N-T-P-I-N, hunt pin, that's going to say that um, the people that you invite to your scavenger hunt are going to use that pin to geofence themselves and be able to send push notifications to the other users of the of the app within that geofence. Uh, so in your scavenger hunt, people subscribe to that particular pin and they start searching using the Cordova plugin for the beacons. And the way I designed the user interface is that when the users get close to a beacon within, uh, I believe it's one meter, uh, a button appears and uh, they can press the button and then everyone within the geofenced group is notified um, that one of the beacons was found. And with this Estimote beacon pack, you have three beacons. There's a, they're uh, designated by color. There's an ice beacon, a blueberry beacon, and a mint beacon. So they're kind of different colors. And the Cordova plugin will tell you you know, oh, I'm close to the ice beacon, a, a, a blue colored button appears in the user interface and you press it. And then everyone is notified that that beacon was found. So it's just a very simple sort of little game that you can use, you know, you hide your beacons in Easter eggs or, uh, or anywhere in the yard and uh, people can subscribe to your hunt when they get to your house. And, uh, and then you can run around and uh, just get out into the sunshine and get away from your screen and enjoy. So it's just a fun little, it's a fun little app to, to, also, it's a great way for me to explore how to import plugins into uh, into a hybrid mobile app on the platform. It uses the Estimote plugin, like I mentioned. It also uses the social sharing plugin because once you create your ID, uh, your hunt pin, your, uh, you can send an email via a, a pop-up screen saying, you know, um, everyone download the app and come to my house and uh, and we're going to start searching for beacons. So that's a plugin. And then there's the push notification plugin as well. So it's a three three plugins that's a, in a small little app, but um, uh, it, it works, you know, it works. And uh, I've been demoing this in conferences. It's my little dog and pony show at this point that I take to a conference. And if you find a beacon, uh, you get a little prize. Uh, I'm going to do this next week at QCon, actually. So it's a great way to get people up out of their chairs and just searching. It's really fun. Uh 
Yeah, I love the IoT stuff. It seems like it's such a creative new space, and there's so many cool things coming out of it. Um, and this is one of them. I think it's a really neat way to get people up out of their chairs at a conference and, it, uh, in addition, play you know with your kids at home. Yes. Uh, like you said, you hit them in Easter eggs and uh, <laughs> did an Easter egg hunt. So it's it's cool to see gaming you know jump out of the screen and uh, take part in something physical. Yes. So if you go to developer.telerik.com, the TDN, Telerik Developer Network, you can find an, an article about this uh, app and you can download the source code. It's all up on GitHub. So it's all open source. You know, play with it, um, use it to learn, you know, how to how to deal with plugins, how to deal with push notifications, which kind of is rocket science in the in the hybrid mobile world. You know, if you can get push notifications working on your iOS app, you know, that's money. So um, <laughs> lots of lots of good things to learn just with this sort of app. And uh, I was actually talking to a gentleman who's doing exactly that. He's learning how to develop a hybrid mobile app coming from a completely different background, downloaded, you know, that uh, that source code and is trying to, to build. And he's got his estimate beacons ready to roll. So it's kind of exciting to, to talk to people who are using and trying and uh, uh, just building. What would some of the practical applications for IoT beacons be? Well, um, Estimote, which is uh, actually a Polish company, they're really pushing the envelope. Uh, they just had a really interesting blog post with an application for beacons that I never even thought of. But you could uh, use beacons to encourage people to, to download apps, actually, for app discoverability, which is becoming a huge problem in, uh, in the mobile app world, just avoiding having your app completely buried by all the crazy stuff that's in the app store. Uh, if you are, for example, uh, a retail uh, store, you could use a beacon, uh, and that would notify uh, notify users, you know, that there's something to download, there's some some action item to do, uh, to to better experience, you know, the physical nature of the store. Um, so that's that's that was a good um, a good use case, I thought. There's a lot of other things that people are doing with beacons. Uh, there's a company called Contact K O N T A K T. -K kt.io, I believe. They have their own beacons, but they're very interested in using them for social um, social awareness and, and helping people with disabilities. And they placed beacons all over a city and they're helping create apps so that uh, blind people can navigate um, across streets and that sort of thing uh, by, you know, having the beacon trigger voice commands, you know, that they can, that they can, you know, go this direction or that direction to get to point X or Y. People are using them for conferences. I believe at that conference, which is coming up in August, we're going to have a beacon-enabled app, maybe using estimates, maybe using something else, um, so that people can navigate through the conference uh, area and be alerted of interesting things happening there. So it's really, you know, if you need any possibility of like micro-locating content, using beacons is a great way to do it. I think there's a lot of technology in the future we're going to see where uh, things are picking up our locations based on our phones and serving us all kinds of interesting and fun stuff. Definitely. And, uh, you know, with Apple Watch, that's another, with all the wearables, because the notifications are even more immediate. You know, you're tapped on the wrist if you, if you, you know, yeah. are notified wow. of something. So it's really, you know, it's like, hey, hey, hey. So you may or may not like that, but for retailers, it's just one more way of capturing attention. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things where we need to decide where convenience and 
uh, creepiness lies. Ah, uh, yes, the fine line. <laughs> it is a very fine line. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I think I need to get some of these beacons and take them to the next uh, game jam and see what Alex and Eric from Two Scoop Games can do with them. I'd love to see them incorporate something from, you know, like I said, the taking it into the real world space and putting it in one of their games, I think it'd be really cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, in a, in a game environment, you could have, you could have a virtual endless runner game. And then at, at some point, like a beacon could, could somehow encourage you to, you know, participate in the, participate in the endless run. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, but you know, if you could kind of, uh, uh, enhance the physicality of the gaming experience with something that will get you up and moving. I think that's really fun. That'd be really cool. <laughs> Jen, I want to thank you for being part of the show today. Sure, my pleasure. You can find Jen's article at developer.telerik.com as well as show notes and more of our podcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs>